I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey everyone, my name is Austin Fast, and welcome to Coronavirus in Florida, The Lost Summer, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. This episode was released on Thursday, July 2nd. On this show, we'll explore all the ways COVID-19 is making summer 2020 one to remember. We'll talk with business owners, experts, reporters, and Floridians just like you to share the facts behind the spread of the virus and discuss what could happen next. This past weekend, Florida grabbed national headlines for smashing coronavirus records. Both Saturday, June 27th and Sunday, June 28th, saw about 9,000 new cases across the state, almost doubling the old record of 5,500 set just a week prior. So should we be worried? Does more testing equal more cases? And are the Black Lives Matter protests to blame for Florida's spike? To answer these burning questions, Tampa Bay Times reporters tracked down eight public health experts from across the country, ranging from the Yale School of Medicine to the University of Washington. Here's epidemiologist Thomas Slattish from our own backyard at the University of Florida. When you're talking about so many people infected at one time in the younger population, it almost becomes a certainty that you're going to see more and more of these spillover events into more vulnerable populations. It's kind of like playing Russian roulette with multiple guns now. On today's episode, a conversation with Tampa Bay Times reporter Ian Hodgson. He talked with those eight experts and answered your pressing questions with a front-page story in last Sunday's issue of the paper. He takes us beyond the cover story and into his interviews. So I'm Ian Hodgson. I'm a staff writer here at the Tampa Bay Times. Up until recently, one of the big explanations for the uptick in cases from the governor's office has been that they're just testing more and they're doing more contact tracing. And so we really wanted to figure out how much of this uptick could really be explained by the increase in tests. Elected leaders from Governor Ron DeSantis all the way up to President Donald Trump have been claiming that. So it's a great question. I'm glad you answered. Let's turn your conversation with that infectious disease researcher from the University of Florida, Thomas Slattish. A month ago, for about a week, that was a plausible explanation of what was going on. 
But once you have a few weeks of data that you can look at, you can see that the curves are shaped differently. Basically, the cases are curving upward, whereas the number of tests we're doing, it's more like it's asymptotically approaching a plateau. You can't have the driver approaching a plateau and the thing that's responding, the number of cases, curving the other direction. You can just look at that and say, yeah, that, that can't be the explanation. <laughs> so he's also said that, like, the state's doing a better job of contact tracing, and so that's going to contribute to the, the higher positive percent. I don't have the data to say, oh, I'm confident that that's impossible. But if we just think about it from, like, a common sense approach, it, it just doesn't make sense that week over week, it's not just we're doing a better job. We're doing a, like, radically better job every single week than we did the week before. Like, give me a break. That seems implausible. In recent days, the governor acknowledged this point and said that it's not just our contact tracing. It's not just increased testing. We really are seeing a second wave or a second spike in cases. Since a month ago on June 1st, the average number of tests per day has increased by less than 25%. During that same time, the average of new infections per day has nearly quadrupled, from less than 1,000 cases per day at the start of June to more than 4,000 cases every day over the past week. Ian has a great chart at tampabay.com showing how these two numbers have diverged that you really should take a look at. The line showing new tests each day is pretty much flat, while the line for new cases is steadily climbing. As Flattish tells Ian, if more testing were in fact driving Florida's increase in cases, they should be moving along together. So, Ian, uh, another point you make in your article is about the protests we've seen across Florida and nationwide. A lot of chatter on social media has blamed Black Lives Matter protesters out on the streets for contributing to the rise in cases. What did the experts tell you? It may have you know, led to some contagion, but really not as much as you'd expect. So one thing that Professor Haldish told us was that when you think about contact, it's really an equation of like person hours. So it's the number of people you're con- in contact with, the amount of time that you're in contact with them, and then really sort of the environmental factors. So that's things like being outside in the fresh air versus sitting inside a bar with recirculating air. You also spoke with Derek Cummings, who is an epidemiologist at the University of Florida. He says we can see all across Florida that things have gone back to many more people interacting in ways that like they were before the pandemic. You know, in some ways we don't need other explanations because we know this virus transmits quite efficiently when people are interacting within six feet, are not wearing masks, are just getting together. You know, the the clearest evidence that the protests don't explain this in and of themselves is the fact that there are places that had much bigger protests, you know, New York City, other places across the country that are not experiencing the increases in cases that Florida is seeing. And just from a numbers and time perspective, these protests were large, but the number of people that went to them and the length of time they were there is much smaller than the number of people going to bars and restaurants across the state. So another thing we're hearing is that a big chunk of the spike in cases is among people who are sort of between 20 to 40 years old. And we see that in the data, too, that, you know, the median age is actually trending down from, you know, sort of 50 odd to now 35 or so. 
Should this be sort of cause for concern? Should people be worried when faced with the data that we're seeing? Uh, absolutely. Um, if we have a lot of people who are 20 to, to 40 getting infected, we are not completely cut off from one another by age. People who are 20 to 40, we know that a lot of them are asymptomatic. They are going to interact with family members, with people that they interact maybe in a job setting. One of the other points that you made in this story, uh, which actually seems like good news, but uh, I'm crossing my fingers, maybe uh, I hope there's not a, what's the opposite of a silver lining? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. But one of your points was that fewer of the people getting infected are getting seriously sick. And on the surface, this is like, it sounds, okay, well, that's that's good news, right? Um, tell me a little bit more about that point. Yeah, so, I mean, it can still be a problem in a number of respects. The first is that... Um, there's obviously a delay between getting infected and needing uh, hospital care. And, you know, one thing that every expert that we talk to said is watch hospitalizations and watch hospital utilization. Alarm bells aren't really going to be sounding until we see hospitalizations start to tick up. And that's something that we're at the Tampa Bay Times, we're watching every day to see um, what's changing with hospitalizations. So it may just be a lag effect. It just takes one person to bring the infection into a nursing home or a hospital, and then you can have, you know, really seriously bad outcomes from that kind of infection. And so as much as people are getting sick and tired of social distancing and like, I'm sick of tired of being stuck in my house and not having contact with people, it matters now more than ever because your probability of bumping into somebody who is shedding virus is so much higher now. You actually answered my next question. I was going to say how exactly what you just said. I, a lot of what I'm hearing and seeing on social media is that people are so sick and tired. They're fatigued of, of hearing about coronavirus. They're tired of wearing a mask. And all these, these numbers and data, math is scary for a lot of people. And seeing all these numbers, it just kind of like becomes this meaningless hum. You start to not notice it after a while, after you've seen every day these numbers come across. So as someone who works a lot with data and, and investigative journalism, how do you react to that? How do you try to keep your readers interested in these really important numbers? The numbers alone can never really speak for themselves. And I think that's the importance of bringing in the voice and opinions of the experts that we did in this piece and you know, the voice of ordinary people that we've been doing and other stories surrounding the coronavirus because hearing that there are 9,000 new cases in a single day across the state sounds scary, but when it's, you know, the third day in a row that you've had over 5,000 new cases, you start to go numb to it, like you said. But hearing from experts who, who really do think that this is a problem and really do have concise and concrete concerns about what they're seeing in the data definitely makes it more real. And then every story of somebody who gets sick or seriously sick with the virus is another great reminder to just like the minor things you have to do to be vigilant are worth it. Right, like any sort of pre-existing condition, it can really uh, wreak havoc on the system. I mean, just from those couple interviews I listened to, uh, you know, it seemed like, you know, those experts are saying loud and clear, it's not time to relax and go back to life as normal. They're definitely sounding the alarm bells, and whether or not people listen is, you know, a, a different story, I guess. And those infectious disease experts are not just worried about the health of the American people. 
Cummings also worries about the health of our economy. You can't keep businesses open when your hospitals start getting packed with people who are sick and dying and the economy is made up of people who are thinking about their risks. At some point, we won't have the choice to lock down or not, right? The virus will lock us down. Now, Ian, there's one other topic that Professor Hladish got into and seemed super passionate about. It didn't make it into your article on Sunday, but I know it's a question many people are asking. Hladish called out elected officials for accusing epidemiologists of getting everything wrong with their models. Models are not crystal balls, and there are certain types of things that you should not expect them to be reliable about. And I think that weather forecasts maybe provide a useful analogy here. You would not ask someone who makes weather forecasts to predict what's going to happen every week for every county for the next six months. But it is reasonable to ask questions like, what is the total amount of rainfall we expect to get over that time period? (laughs) There's there's been this like desperate demand for predictions, and I get that. And when some of us who have been doing this for multiple decades say, like, uh, you cannot meaningfully make that prediction, then you have decision makers just turn to someone else who is willing to make the prediction. And then the decision makers say, you were wrong about everything. (laughs) You know, my response is, you weren't listening when I told you this isn't a reasonable question to ask. But we do know this is a very infectious disease, and it's it's going to be opportunistic. It's going to wait for an opportunity to spread. And so I can't tell you what's going to happen in a month because I don't know what the governor is going to do in a month. Yeah. But on the other hand, I can say if things are relaxed, you know, if kids go back to school, this is the impact that that would likely have over an extended period of time. Well, thank you again, Ian, for taking the time to talk with us. We really appreciate your work. Great. Thank you so much. That was reporter Ian Hodgson talking about his cover story from the June 28th issue of the Tampa Bay Times. If you missed the paper on Sunday, you can head to tampabay.com slash coronavirus to catch up. And while you're on our website, you'll also find up-to-the-minute data and all the Tampa Bay Times stories on coronavirus in Florida. If you like today's show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast platform. I'd love to hear from you if you have comments or suggestions for future episodes. You can find me on Twitter at A underscore fast. That's fast, like the opposite of slow. Or shoot me an email at afast at tampabay.com. Thanks again to reporter Ian Hodgson and our epidemiological experts, Derek Cummings and Thomas Flattish of the University of Florida. I'm Austin Fast, and this has been Coronavirus in Florida, The Lost Summer. Thanks for listening and stay healthy out there. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.